What do you do when you hear the pre-flight airplane instructions as you sit on the plane? Um, when the air stewardess informs you about what to do in the event of an emergency, well, you know, how do you respond to that? Do you ever look at the information card in front of you and, and check, you know, what the right brace position is? Do you check to know uh, whether uh, you have a life jacket and where to find it? Uh, do, you, do you make a mental note, I must not inflate it before I leave the plane? Is it really worth it to pay any attention to all that stuff? Well, if you were on US Airways Flight 1549, flying from New York City on the 15th of January 2009, suddenly all that pre-flight instruction stuff became very important. During takeoff, the Airbus A320 flew through a flock of Canada geese that took out both of the jet engines. And so if you've been on that plane and routinely ignored those instructions, what would be going through your head as you hear the captain announcing to the cabin, brace for impact, brace for impact? You'd be thinking, well, what's that? Uh, where, where's the life jacket? Is it my seat cushion? Is it under my seat cushion? And if you're in the row next to the, um, to the uh, exit, are you, are you thinking to yourself, well, how, how on earth do you open that? Or would you be so terrified you wouldn't think about any of that? You're just thinking about the fact that imminently you're about to have a crash landing. Well, if you watch the movie Sully, uh, you'll know that due to the skill of the pilot and the crew, the plane made an emergency landing on the Hudson River. And all 155 people on board were made, you know, were all made it out alive. Now, why was that? Why did they make it out alive? Well, because the pilot was prepared for such an emergency. Thoroughly trained and a seasoned pilot, he made all the right judgments in split-second time and skillfully executed a landing on the water. All those hours in the flight simulator and real-time uh, flying paid off in that one moment of crisis. He was prepared. And so instead of a, a tragedy in New York that day, people were saved. I don't think the uh, company were happy that their plane sank to the bottom of the river, but there we are. This is one of the reasons that Mark chapter 13 is in our Bibles. It's a complicated chapter uh, and there are sections of it that are much debated, but the essence of what is going on in this, in, in this uh, teaching is quite straightforward. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the future. As Jesus and his disciples left the temple for the very last time before the events of the crucifixion, his death, uh, one of the disciples blurts out, look teacher, uh, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings as they looked at the temple. Now what Jesus said absolutely shocked them, verse 2. Do you see all those great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now the disciples were stunned. I mean this is an incredible claim. Um, we saw last month in January the shock that America experienced as uh, apparently Trump, Trump supporters stormed into the Capitol building in Washington DC on January the 6th. It was seen not just as damaging property, 
but it was an insurrection. It was an assault on democracy. Some US politicians use very sort of religious terms like that they had attacked sacred ground, the temple of democracy and language like that. Now imagine what the reaction would have been if they'd actually destroyed the place. Now the shock of the temple's destruction would have been uh, far greater. Uh, the temple was at the very center of the of Israel's life and of its worship. All the festivals were focused on this building which symbolized the presence of God dwelling amongst his people. And Jesus prophesied it would be utterly destroyed. Such a massive event would surely mean the end of, of all things to their way of thinking. So when they crossed the Kidron Valley and climbed up the hill opposite on the Mount of Olives, well, a few disciples come to Jesus and ask, the, ask him the question privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? So Jesus prepares them here, not simply for the end of the temple, but actually uh, the end of the world as we, as we know it. And I think a key issue in interpreting this chapter really relates around these phrase, these things. If you look at verse 30. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And so note with me back at verse 4, they ask, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? These things refer to the destruction of the temple. The day described here as a day of great tribulation. Now, take a look at verse 24. But in those days... Following that distress or tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his, uh, his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And so some of the events spoken of here relate to the destruction of the temple, which while future for them at the time, are past events for us. The Roman armies did destroy the temple in AD 70. But the main event, the end of history, as we know it, described as the Son of Man returning in glory that will usher in his kingdom, well, that's obviously still to come, yet to be fulfilled. You know, there will be this decisive day of both salvation and judgment. Salvation for those that Jesus refers to here as the elect, who will be gathered from throughout the whole world, Jesus uh, foresaw. But to use the language of the parallel part of Matthew's gospel, this is also a decisive day of, of separation and judgment. Uh, in, in, in a number of parables, he puts it this way. Some will be ready and welcomed into the wedding banquet, while others will be unprepared and will be shut out. 
This will be a day where the shepherd will divide the sheep and the goats. The sheep who will be those blessed by God and, and, and brought into sharing the inheritance of the Messiah and enjoy his kingdom. And the goats who will be left outside the kingdom and outside facing eternal punishment in, in language that is very sobering. So the question is this, how should we live our lives in the light of this terrible and glorious day that is coming? How should we prepare ourselves? Um, when will these things happen? What, what should we expect life to be like in the in-between time? Well, I, I believe that all these questions are addressed in some way in this chapter. We're all used to living our lives in the light of future events. You know, the big one, the wedding day. It's set and everything works towards it. Or school exam day, which uh, I don't think there's going to be school exam day this year because of COVID. But normally there's a, a day set and you work towards it. Well, here is the ultimate day that's being spoken of. That, that, that should shape the way we live today. This, this chapter is full of applications but the main one is this, watchfulness. Four times there is this command, watch out. It's there in verse 5. And it's the same word translated, be on your guard, that we see in verse 9, verse 23, and verse 33. Watch out, be on your guard. So can I have your full attention right now? Uh, try and switch off anything that distracts you. Switch off notifications on your phone. Put your phone away and focus into what the Bible has to say this morning, for Jesus is preparing his disciples. Now, I think this section can be looked at in two main sections. Verses 5 to 23, don't be alarmed, the end is still to come. And verses 24 to 37, be alert, the end is near. So let's think about those two parts. First part, verses 5 to 23, don't be alarmed, the end is still to come. The disciples have asked, what are the signs of the destruction of the temple? And in verses 5 to 8, uh, the disciples are given all the signs that should not alarm them. There will be false messiahs claiming to be sent by God. Gurus who will try to lead the disciples away from following Jesus. Verse 22 warns that they will even be able to perform signs and wonders that will impress the spiritually gullible and so we are being warned aren't we that we should not be overly impressed by people who claim that they can do healings and miracles especially if they're using them to back up claims that are different to Jesus you know see it's not wrong for us to question the validity of those who claim they can do miracles or those who claim to have great revelations of prophecy, even from angels themselves. We can ignore those people when they depart from the gospel. And we're only being obedient to Jesus when we do so. When we show discernment rather than unthinking, uh, giving of our time and money to listen to false teachers, prophets, and even miracle workers. Don't believe it when people arise in politics or uh, or in churches claiming to be the Messiah who are going to fix everything in society uh, or the world. Watch out, Jesus says, that no one deceives you. False messiahs, false prophets are often very popular and they do lead many astray. 
Uh, I think back to, um, I think it was 2008, the so-called Lakeland Revival. There was a man called Todd Bentley who conducted a hundred night long series of events where it was claimed great miracles were taking place. The deaf hearing, the blind seeing, and even dead people coming to life and all being beamed into our homes from the God TV channel. And then he greatly discredited his own ministry and I won't explain how. But instead of uh, questioning the very bizarre claims of healing and supposed revelations from God that he received from an angel called Emma apparently, People flock to the meetings. Now, Lee Grady, who was the end the editor of Charisma magazine, quoted a Pentecostal evangelist friend who commented on this to him in this way. I'm now convinced that a large segment of the charismatic church will follow the Antichrist when he shows up because they have no discernment. Now, having just finished a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it was sobering to see how many church leaders actively supported Adolf Hitler in Germany as he promised to make Germany great again. False prophets, false messiahs will keep arising in the last days. Now, there are also other things that should not alarm us. Wars, Jesus says. Fears about wars, international leaders threatening neighboring states, earthquakes and famine. Take a look at verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. These are all terrible things, but we should not rush to the conclusion that Armageddon is just around the corner. Some people uh, do have a tendency to get really panicked by the latest hyped issue. And I've lived long enough to see this happen many times. The Gulf War, uh, Y2K bug, the Iraq War, avian flu, swine flu, COVID now. And we need to hear the words of Jesus. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Verse eight, these are the beginning of the birth pains. These are the events that we should expect in the last days. But it doesn't mean that the end is necessarily imminent. Just as the first contractions that a pregnant woman experiences doesn't mean that a baby will suddenly appear. And so, if the disciples are not to be alarmed, what are they supposed to do in these days? Well, we are to bear witness to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, and proclaim his gospel. It's right there in verse 10. This is what Jesus expects us to be doing in these last days. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations, he says. Now, not everyone uh, is going to be thrilled about us engaging in such a witness. And Jesus himself was a rejected king, as we're going to see in the coming weeks as we go through the passion narrative. And his disciples will also receive hostility and prejudice, suffering, and even death. If you look at verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Which is a description really of what took place in the early church recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, the rejection that we could experience as disciples can even mean rejection, sadly, of family members. Look at verse 12. 
Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, Jesus says. Jesus is saying all these things to prepare them. He wants them to be ready. These events are coming. And like those instructions before you take off on an airplane, they're, they're worth heeding when a possible thing could happen. And Mark is preparing us for the day when we experience rejection, suffering, possibly even the threat of death because we are being witnesses to Jesus and his gospel. And there are places in the world today where threat to life is a very real possibility. I think of our dear brothers and sisters in Nigeria in the northern state regions. It's very tough. In Scotland, we're seeing this kind of growing religious fervor around identity politics and the old in uh, tolerance is being replaced by a great intolerance of anyone who doesn't follow this very narrow view of equality and diversity. If we don't profess our undying support for these agendas, then we're going to face hostility. But instead, you see, we're, we're to hold to the true equality, the true diversity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone can come, all can come and receive salvation from Jesus and then be called to live a life of holiness. But, you know, proclaiming that, we're going to find that we are excluded and despised and people can be worried about us. And we shouldn't be freaked out about this. Jesus is actually preparing us for this. I mean, it's always been the case, isn't it, that the exclusive claims of Jesus have never been appreciated, that he is the way, the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. That's never been popular. But the Lord Jesus lovingly prepared us for this reality. We should watch out and be prepared and not be taken by surprise. And in these trials, we have just this um, wonderful promise of comfort that the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit will be with us. And we have the fellowship of brothers and sisters, the church to care for us, uh, to, enable us to enable us to endure faithfully to the end. So do not be alarmed or be led astray by the events of the last days, but instead keep on proclaiming the good news of Jesus the Messiah, that he is Lord of all. And then having told them about what should not alarm them, Jesus tells them the sign will actually, that will actually mark the destruction of the temple in verses 14 to 23. When is the temple going to be destroyed? That was their question. When will these things happen? Verse 4. Well, the answer that Jesus gives uh, is there in verse 30. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. In other words, Jesus says to his disciples that it will happen in their lifetime. They will see it, the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign that these things will take place? Well, Jesus uh, gives an answer to this. Uh, there will be a desecration of the, of the Jerusalem temple it, it, that uh, they are going to witness. Jesus calls it the abomination of desolation, which was a kind of a historical marker for the Jewish people. It was a term taken from the book of Daniel and something that they'd already partially experienced. In 186 BC, 
Antiochus Epiphanes conquered Jerusalem, invaded the temple, and there built an altar to Zeus upon the Jewish altar and sacrificed pigs on it. The abomination of desolation. A despicable thing to, to have been done. A desecration of the holy place. And Jesus warns his disciples, when you see that sort of thing happening again, then you know that the temple will be destroyed. As I said already, we know that in AD 70, the Roman armies came and they besieged Jerusalem. But here Jesus is preparing his people. When you see it happening, don't follow conventional wisdom. When invading armies used to come, what would farmers near cities do? Well, they would, they would run into the city for protection. Well, Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't run into the walled city. That's not the place that's going to be safe. Run to the hills. That is the place of safety. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When the Romans came, they laid a siege to the city and everyone inside died. It's estimated that a million uh, Jews were killed in this event. Uh, they, Roman armies brought their ensigns into the temple. They declared it Roman property. Their ensigns were uh, put in the heart of the temple where images of Caesar, which were considered to be an abomination by the Jews. They made a great fire to burn the temple and they pulled every stone apart and reclaimed the melted gold and silver. Jewish bodies were piled up outside of Jerusalem. They died of disease, starvation and crucifixion. Josephus, the historian, records that so many people were crucified that they ran out of trees in the Judean countryside because of all the wooden crosses. Awful and horrific events of AD 70. Savage brutality, which Jesus predicted 40 years before it took place. That is what they asked in verse 4. What will be the sign that they are all to be fulfilled? Well, the answer when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, then you'll know that the temple will soon be destroyed. Verse 30, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So watch out, Jesus says. Verse 23, so be on your guard. I've told you everything in advance. Now let's think about the second section of Mark 13. And I can summarize it in this way, in verses 24 to 37. Be alert, the end is near. Be alert, the end is near. While not obsessing that every calamity meets the end of days, we are still called to live with a conscious expectation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that we probably don't spend enough time thinking about. What's the future of history itself? How will this world come to an end? Will it be destroyed in millions of years as the sun runs out of hydrogen and expands and blows up or whatever it's going to do, or runs out of steam? Uh, will we get hit by a massive uh, comet? There's a movie out right now that portrays this comet coming to crash into the earth and everything kind of getting destroyed practically. Or will we burn up uh, through global warming? Or will we blow ourselves up with mutually assured destruction of nuclear weapons? Well, the Bible gives us a very different view on the future. 
the same Jesus of Nazareth that walked on the planet 2,000 years ago will return again. We find it in various places. We're studying Revelation in the evening, so there should be no surprise to those listening to the Revelation series. His second coming will usher in the end of history as we know it. And the reason we think that is because this is what Jesus himself taught. And this is what I believe he is talking about in verses 24 to 27. Look at verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, that is the events that take place after the destruction of the temple, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is a day of cosmic significance. The whole created order will be shaken. Verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus is prophesying that beyond his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead, he will personally and visibly return as the awesome one described in Daniel as the Son of Man, the one to whom God gives the kingdoms of the world as his rightful inheritance, the one who will bring in the everlasting kingdom. There will be no doubt. Uh, it's not going to be a secret return that nobody notices, or nobody's aware of. No, everyone will know. And if the temple was the focus point of God's presence and glory, well, following the death and resurrection of Jesus, then Jesus is now the focus of God's presence and glory. And all will see him return with great power and glory, Jesus says. He's already spoken of it back in Mark chapter 8, hasn't he? But here, verse 27, And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Even as all other authorities and powers will be swept away, uh, all those who responded to the gospel call to come under his lordship and receive his salvation, they'll be gathered to be with him, to enter into the fullness of his kingdom. And on that day, uh, whatever we have suffered for Christ and his gospel will be, will be worth it. Now for those who were ashamed of him and his gospel, well on that day he will be ashamed of them away from me I never knew you but those who have chosen to lose their lives for Jesus's sake and for his gospel will be vindicated on that day what an incredible and awesome day now when will that day be well verse 32 is pretty clear isn't it but about that day or hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, Jesus says. No one knows. Jesus in his, in his earthly ministry didn't know the date. Only the Father knows. And so as soon as you hear a prediction of the exact day as many cults have done in the past, you can be certain it'll not be on that day. <laughs> no one knows. The final sign that Jesus speaks of here in this chapter is the destruction of the temple. Look at verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs uh, get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. So how should we respond? We know that Jesus 
is returning, but we do not know the exact time. So what does he want us to do? He wants us to be alert. Look at verse 33. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a, a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. Uh, verse 34. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Verse 35. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What does it mean to be alert? Well, as I said at the beginning of this point, I think it is to live with a conscious expectation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is this, are we living with this as the ultimate reality of our lives, knowing that this day is coming? Because if we are, then we're going to be engaged in the task that he's given us. And remember, we already saw what that task was back in verse 10, to proclaim the gospel to all nations. That's why the angels will be gathering up the elect from the four corners of the earth, because the church has been busy and engaged in this great commission of preaching the gospel to all nations and making disciples from all nations. That's why they will be gathered from all the nations and gathered to Christ on his glorious return. The doorkeeper, after all, has only got one job, hasn't he? You've only got one job, to be ready to open the door when the master returns. What a useless doorkeeper who is asleep at the critical time. Jesus says he is returning and he is bringing in his everlasting kingdom. That day will be the moment of the great divide. It could be in 200 years. It could be in two months. It could be today. How will he find us? Uh, will we be disengaged and distracted? Or will we be busy about his business? Now, our media is currently bombarding us with the fear of, of dying from COVID. But whether it is this virus or cancer or heart failure, the point is that we're all going to die and after that comes the judgment, the Bible tells us. The greater issue than COVID is this. How have we responded to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man, who came the first time to offer his life as a ransom for many, so that all who trust him will be forgiven, redeemed and welcomed on that day? Or have we written him off and ignored him? We will look most foolish on that final day when he comes with great power and glory and you won't even be able to say that you didn't know because you've been told today have you responded to this gospel have you repented of your sins to put your trust in him as savior and lord if you're not sure how to do that please get in touch and as i close just look at one of the most astonishing verses of this chapter and there are many astonishing ones look at verse 31 heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. 
You see hundreds of thousands of people in Edinburgh are building their lives on the wrong things. Don't build your lives on temporary things, on a marriage that will, all marriages come to an end. Don't build your life on your career. Don't build your life on your looks. Don't build your life on your property. All of that will pass away. There is only one thing solid enough to build our lives on. It is the words of Jesus. His words will never pass away. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Well, only God's words will last forever. It's another pretty direct claim to be God, isn't it? As it says in the scriptures, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Let's not build our lives on temporary things, but build our lives on Jesus' words that will never pass away. There is nothing more certain than what Jesus promises here. He prophesied his own death and resurrection and it took place exactly as he said. He prophesied the destruction of the temple in AD 70. It took place exactly as he said. And he says that he is coming again in full glory to gather up his elect people before the final judgment. So be alert. Be on your guard. Be ready.